You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, music lovers. This is the Modern Musicology Podcast. And in your ears this week is Alan, Stephanie, and Rob. How Yay. are you lovely folks doing tonight? Good. good. How Thank are you? you. Well, great. How's your week's been? Long. <laughs> yes. How about long. you, Rob? Long. We're, we've had long weeks. How about you? Well, medium length. Yeah, I don't know. It's not, maybe not as long as yours. I don't know. But this week we are talking about the recently released documentary Squaring the Circle, which is about the graphic design team Hypnosis, which were active in the early 70s through the early 80s, doing album covers for Pink Floyd, Def Leppard, T-Rex, Black Sabbath, Wishbone Ash, Bad Company, Led Zeppelin, ACDC, Scorpions, The Nice, Wings, Alan Parsons Project, Yes, Genesis, Peter Gabriel, Rainbow, Sticks. Holy crap, they it's did never so ending, much work. Right? So much work. The team was made up of Storm Thorgerson and Aubrey Powell, and later uh, Peter Christofferson joined the team. And uh, we're going to be talking about this new documentary that uh, came out in theaters it was a, like a one day kind of like special release. And I had the opportunity to see that and it's now on Apple TV. So I'm curious to know, uh, Rob and Steph, what were your overall impressions of this documentary? My first impression was, I can't believe I didn't know all about this. Um, because I, I really didn't understand that, um, you know, this company that, or this, these, this group of people really this creative group of people had done so much. They were so proliferative, so much artwork, so much photography. I recognized some of the album covers, um, <laughs> you know, but not all, but uh, my husband, Bob really was, he was tuned in and he really knew that, you know, most of them, but I was just blown away, just really blown yeah. away by the amount of work they had done and the beauty of it all. Just, yeah. just the striking, every single thing was a, striking piece of art. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, being able to present this in contemporary media where all the colors are buffed up and everything meant that we can full on see everything as natural to its original mm -hmm. creation without losing any definition from going from looking at it with our eyes to looking at it on a screen. Mm -hmm. Right. I love that because it really was just as visually rich on my, on my TV as it would be if I saw it in a theater. That's yeah. a good point. So I, I, the first thing that, that just struck me is just how amazingly rich and visual it is. I come to this from probably the weakest background of all of us and that I had seen the work with Wings and I had seen mostly the work with Zeppelin and Floyd. And a lot of the stuff outside of that was mm -hmm. all new to me. And then once I saw a lot of these albums, I'm like, oh, yeah, that album. And oh, yeah, that album. Right. Right. So they're one of those people that um, if you see their work, you're like, oh, yeah, like I've had that Peter Gabriel album for 30 friggin' years and I never realized. Yeah. 
Like it's kind that, of obvious now that you see it, right? Yeah, but when you, yeah. but if you did, if you don't connect it first, you might not know. That's exactly how I felt. So the first time through, I'm watching this. I'm kind of in the okay. I'm kind of dazzled by all this. So then there's the deep rewatch after, where you sort of soak in everything else. Visually, it's stunning in terms of the artwork and the work that they did, and being able to appreciate it. They did a great job of presenting the artwork. Like they they roll out the little album, you know, the, with a visual. And then they put it in like a record sleeve and then they show you the sleeve. It was a really great way to chapter. Then I love the fact that all of the interviews they had were really well done and really framed well within the context of the albums they were talking about. A lot of times with documentaries, they have these interviews with stars and they kind of put them in weird places. But they managed to use McCartney, for example, several times, but in little short bursts rather than just have them in once and you're done. Right, in context right? with what their topic was, yeah. I just thought that the editing on it was really, really fantastic. Um, as for the content itself, you know, I knew about them mostly through video work later and through the Floyd and the Zeppelin stuff, but I had no idea they were this prolific. I had no idea of the background. You know, they were very punk rock before punk rock, just in their attitude of how they were doing it. And the idea that they would reuse artwork ideas, like they'd take a, an idea to a group and it would say Wishbone Ash crossed off and then yes, crossed off or whatever, right? I love that. Yeah. And that's the, that's the power of what they did in that they didn't craft an image specifically to an album title or a, a song content or something. It's a very broad image yeah. that they could then recontextualize any way they wanted. Right. To any artist that actually wanted yeah. to take it. And if then Pink, it was yeah. funny how they would present it as a new idea for each right. artist. If Pink Floyd had passed up on the design that they took for Dark Side of the Moon, somebody else would have taken it. And it would have worked just as well on somebody else's album. But, I thought that was a pretty humorous aspect of the whole thing, too, which was <laughs> that was really cute. So talking about the album cover art as it's presented in the in the film, the thing that I love the most about it is that the all the new material for the film is shot in very high contrast black and white until they display the album cover that they're talking about, which is in this like oversaturated bright colors. And the contrast between that is just stunning. So the album covers and usually like performance footage of the band, you know, in their heyday, like Zeppelin from the song remains the same is, is all in color, but all the interviews that they shot, all the, and, and a lot of the archival stuff, a lot of it was either in black and white or mm -hmm. graded to black and white. And it leaves that the focus on the album cover artwork. And I thought that was such a smart approach. I thought it was really beautifully done. I think the key to that too, is that Anton Corbin mm. being both a photographer, a filmmaker and a video maker, mm. right. Really has helped him because mm. he's also designed album covers. So I think the fact that, I mean, in this movie alone, you have three generations of album artwork people. You have yeah. obviously uh hypnosis, you have Peter Saville, and then you have Anton Corbin. So three people who's, album artwork have shaped the latter part of the 20th century in artwork for album covers yeah and then video as well so i think that that in and of itself is great but the fact that corbin has done a ton of stuff with black and white you know mm -hmm. for his depeche mode videos yes. and for some of his other for control the joy division movie and some other stuff 
So I think he's really good at using black and white. Yeah. And I think the key here is not how he used the color. I think it's how he used the black and white. I'm going to throw into that list that you just named of other artists and graphic designers that are in this film. I'm going to throw into that uh, Roger Dean, one of the yes, yes. most well-known cover artists of the 20th and 21st century. I, yeah. Just an absolute genius. And it's so interesting to me because Roger Dean is a painter. He comes up with these really elaborate, fanciful, almost fantasy kind of settings for his paintings. And it's such an interesting contrast between what hypnosis does and what he does, because a lot of their stuff is very, it, it's almost abstract. It's a lot of times minimalist and his is kind of elaborate and overcomplicated. And I love the fact that you have that contrast between those two very disparate styles. And he and Storm were really close. Yeah. I love yeah. That. That, that is interesting. Like, right, you have like the starkness of some of those covers. But then there was, I think it was the 10, I love this um, part of the documentary when they were talking about the 10cc album, the original soundtrack, yeah. where uh, I, the artist was Humphrey Ocean. Um, and he drew this amazingly, like beautiful, elaborate artwork. Mm. And he said he couldn't exactly get the glove perfectly, yep. you know, in that this was like hanging there kind of in that whole picture. And that Storm basically just said to him when he first saw it, he was just like, shame about the glove. Like the whole thing, because like, Storm was a little, obviously he was really kind of tough and hard to get along with as, mm -hmm. as they all said. But I mean, obviously they had a wonderful friendship him and Poe and working relationship that that was so successful. But mm -hmm. yeah, Storm was a tough kind of personality. And that's like, that's so hilarious to me that the first thing out of his mouth was, eh, you know, hey, I see that one little defect in the beautiful artwork you've made. Because <laughs> that was like a really fancy cover, you know? Yeah. And that tells you everything about his personality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's also an interesting film in contrasting people and how they work which I thought was also interesting too, mm -hmm. just sort of the methodology of how each worked. It's kind of a yin and yang thing. You can compare it to the dynamics of some of the bands that they, they covered plant and page mm -hmm. and uh, you know, that, that sort of dynamic and some of the dynamics within the band wings and some of the stuff, sort of that contrast between the way band members talk about songwriting and, 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 and the craft of making songs is almost applied to how they make the album cover art as well. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, they always talk about in this film, too, how the 70s were an age of music excess, yeah. right, for all these rock stars. I think, though, that I the thing I wish they would have talked about more is the one thing Hypnosis did is they elevated the idea of artwork and an album being a concept from, you know, tied together. Mm -hmm. It's not just an album and there it is. It is a whole concept for an album complete with visuals, packaging, yeah. and everything else. And that's an idea that they have taken uh, from their work directly into the 21st century that is still resonating today. Yeah, it um, is. I mean, well. just think about Dark Side of the Moon, which is really the thing that really got them going. Um, mm -hmm. That really was their breakthrough in a way. And just think about how, I well, it's, to say it's iconic is like an understatement, but it is. And yeah, that's the, also speaking about contrast, that is so stark 
compared yeah. to so many, like if you think about Houses of the Holy, for example, which is a complicated thing. And they were, I really loved that too in the documentary when they showed the, how they were, mm -hmm. they were putting them all together and making them cohesive, I guess, um, into one cover that, mm -hmm. you know, they were piling yeah. images on top of each other. But that, you know, so again, the starkness and then the, the uh, kind of excess in a way. Yeah, the way they use collage yeah. is fantastic, right? Just That's a good word for it, collage. Yep. It's a very sort of fluxus collage thing. And that movement was going on at the same time in art as well. So they're combining that sort of movement with the music movement that's going on and stuff. But you get a lot of that with the with the whole thing with Pink Floyd and the pig. Oh, right? yeah, the flying pig. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> if pigs could fly. That was such a great story. Pink too. Floyd will make an album cover out of it. Uh, <laughs> that was a good crashed. story. Right. It's the thing is too, is it's a good story after good story after good story. It doesn't yeah. weaken. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know it's like an hour 41, but I almost wanted an extra 10 minutes to mm -hmm. kind of tweak out the video production stuff more, but I get, I get what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, so one of the one of the contributors to this thing, um, who was an artist that did not work with hypnosis, but is a big fan of hypnosis, and that is uh, Noel Gallagher. Yeah. And there are two things that he talked about. The first one I want to mention is, and because it comes right to the point that you were making, Steph, and that is the quote that he gave, vinyl is the poor man's art collection. And, and he, that's a quote that he heard somewhere. What a great quote. Yes, I agree that. It, it, it's so true about what he said about artwork and the album being the poor man's, you know, that's the poor man's art collection, basically. I mean, how true. Look at the wall behind me. Yeah. Album yeah. cover art, you know, yeah. and kind of tying in with that. The other thing that he said was talking about, and you had to go to record stores to get new albums and on the car ride back, You've got this album, you study the artwork, you read the liner notes, you look at the lyrics, you know, and I used to do that. I used to uh -huh. do that every time I bought an album. So by the Me time too. I got home, I knew that album before I ever even heard a song, before I ever put the needle down on the vinyl. Yes, it was so exciting to do. And like, I remember doing that too, like going to the record store. I, I would often go on the train because I was too young to drive. So I would take a train for, um, to the, to our favorite record store and, uh, you know, on the way home on the train, just do the same thing, like open, you know, you would open with the, that plastic wrap stuff and just yeah. like, oh, here's my beautiful album and pull it out. And you would just hope they had lyrics. And if they didn't, it was a bummer and, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. But, but because of that, I have, I've, I've been fairly familiar with hypnosis for most of my record buying career. I've, you know, certainly know them from Pink Floyd and Zeppelin and all these kind of things. Um, you know, I was much more of a collector in the eighties and nineties. And, um, even after hypnosis kind of broke up, we'll say in the early to mid eighties, Storm kept working and doing album covers for a long time, up through the 2000s. So I've seen Storm's name on a million records 
you know, wow. even if I, even ones that hypnosis weren't still together for mm -hmm. storm continued to work in that field while uh, Poe did other things. He went into movie production and he's done ad design and things like that for companies like Coca-Cola and stuff like that. So they've both been enormously successful even after hypnosis stopped being a thing, mm -hmm. but storm's name, I have, I, I, I can't even count the number of times that I have storm's name on an album credit in my collection. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. I think because I just, I was more of a product of the eighties. I didn't have mm -hmm. as much, you know, and cause they, I, I would say that the bulk of their work was the seventies really, but there's yeah. yes, definitely. But storm, yeah. you know, continued to do a lot and, you know, like things like Kansas and sticks and rainbow and mm -hmm. all these bands that I used to love and listen to. He did, he did stuff for, I think I knew storm's name before I knew Hypnosis's name. Yeah, mm -hmm. possibly. I was just kind of surprised also that um, that they did so much with Pink Floyd. And I, I was kind of fascinated by that story about Wish You Were Here, oh that album gosh. cover with the guy on fire, the stuntman. Yeah, man. holy cow. That was incredible how they, well, first of all, how they convinced that stuntman to actually do go ahead with that stunt. But because he did get hurt, he ended up yeah. getting burned in it. But um, I loved how they were saying, you know, someone had just said basically like, people get buried in this business all the time. So that that was like their idea, you know, someone just getting set on fire, literally, <laughs> yep. you know, and yep. they followed yep. through with it and they got that amazing, amazing shot. And the shot that's on the album cover has to be from that last, they did, I think six shoots with that guy. Yes. And it has to be from that last one because you it can is. see the fire yep. up in his hair. It is. Yeah. So, I mean, that and is... that's when they like threw him down and like, yeah you know yeah put him out basically oh yeah. and it's such an amazing cover that artwork got covered up by like an outside cover for that album and it wasn't really displayed fully when you right. were in the store right and they spent all that damn money and almost <laughs> killed the guy and you know when the album first came out you didn't even see it on the shelf <laughs> to like get your paper bag or your like black right. album thing and like open it up <laughs> oh someone nearly died <laughs> oh my god that's crazy. we're laughing now but that poor guy oh god. That poor guy yeah one of the best things about the movie is that you don't have to necessarily know a ton about all of these artists you can walk in cold like i and did learn about much. them yeah and you also will go oh yeah that oh yeah that you know and just hearing Robert Plant talk about Zeppelin is fantastic because you don't yeah. get those two guys really talking much about that anymore. And I thought that was cool. And I thought the, the interviews with Gabriel were great, too. They also did uh, like front and back covers as a as a whole image. Yeah. Also like Flash. I'm trying to think of some other of the bands. But yes, yeah, so they did the front album cover, the back album cover, the inside cover and then the sleeve. Yeah. They made it all one cohesive thing. Yeah. Which is just that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then again, some things like, you know, that Mick Taylor album that he, where he's standing in a corner and it's just like black and white photo almost. It's just so stark. It's just, it's, it's wild how the, how you're right before to your point again about mixing and matching the starkness and the, and the uh, kind of chaos almost sometimes. But that Mick Taylor cover is so cool because it's just, it's so, catch eye grabbing and mm -hmm. and you want to know what's inside the album mm -hmm. you know but it's so simple there was a part toward the end where um poe is being interviewed and over it they flash 
kind of really quickly all these different album covers that didn't get talked about in the documentary. And one of them, I don't know if you noticed this one, but I, I hadn't ever seen it before and I paused it and I read it and it is an XTC cover and it's nothing but text. It's white text mm -hmm. on a black mm -hmm. background. And it's basically this long paragraph that says, this is an album. What you are reading is the album cover design and the album cover design is meant to increase sales for the record company. And it's just this <laughs> long, ridiculous paragraph that eventually does say it does reference the band XTC, but it doesn't say it like right up front. It never says this, this album is called this by XTC. It is so funny. I didn't and see I that. that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. There's another one that kind of shocked me. Like you had mentioned it before, Def Leppard. I didn't realize that they did the high and dry cover, but that's such a cool cover with the guy jumping either. into the empty pool. Yeah, I didn't either until I saw it on the documentary. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. So even I wonder for me, if he... and I had that album when it first came out. And, and I guess I didn't remember. I don't know. Do you think, uh, did they do any other Def Leppard covers? Because I feel like that must mm -mm. have been the only Because Yeah. But, but <clears throat> yeah, maybe not Hysteria, I guess. No, no. no. Uh, Just okay. that one. Yeah, that's a really cool cover. Yeah. So growing up a big, big, big Wings fan in the 70s, that's, I'm pretty sure that's where I know the name Hypnosis from, first and foremost. And things like the Venus and Mars cover, which... I love that cover so much, except for the text that has the, the title. I think it's so gaudy and so awful. And it just draws your attention away from that really beautiful minimalist image. Ugh, I hate that text. But I think that Storm hated that too, didn't he? He wouldn't I, even have anything to do with it. And yeah. um, so there, he did a, they did a whole string of albums for Wings, like yeah. pretty much um almost their entire output is that like wings at the speed of sound the live album wings over america um, and run. my favorite one is the last wings album uh, back to the egg where they're basically on a spaceship and looking at a portal and through the porthole they see the planet earth in the distance and that's basically the egg that they're talking about getting back to and i just think that's such a beautiful image I love their band on the run footage oh. that they showed. I mean, that was so cool to see them like creating that iconic yeah. photograph. Yep. Yeah. And how the ideas, you know, that they, what, that what wings wanted and what actually came, came out of that, you know, it's so cool to see the process. Yeah, totally. I've seen the video. I'm like, Oh my God. I, I, I literally was like screaming with delight when they showed yeah. the video of them doing that. I know. Okay. I, I hate to do this, but I got to go back to Noel Gallagher Yes. There's another thing that he talked about, and this kind of goes to that. To me, there's like a whole culture of album cover art, and that's something that I have like loved for my entire life. But he's, he told that story about how his daughter was at his house, and uh, yeah. he was saying, I just can't, I'm sorry I'm late. I came back from a meeting. We were talking about the the artwork and she's like, what artwork? And you're like, you know, the album cover. And, and she didn't understand the concept of an album cover. And he said, you know, that little thumbnail on iTunes. And she said, they have meetings about that. And it just shows you that, you know, we went from the LP days to the cassette days to the CD days and everything got smaller and smaller. And when you didn't have that 12 by 12 
sleeve anymore where you had this gorgeous image. Well, sometimes they were stupid, but for the most <laughs> part, gorgeous images that really summed up the album, you know? I know. And, you know, that kind of got lost in yes, the in those later times. And once you start going digital and streaming, there's no Yeah, point you don't even need. Yeah. And it was so funny because he was like, yeah, that cost me a hundred grand, right? <laughs> like that was hilarious. But it's so, it's so true. It's like some kids growing up now don't even know that there's a cover or there's supposed to be a cover or something like that. Yeah. Their artwork associated with the album, which all yeah. goes back to Rob's point of being it a cohesive kind of piece of art. Yeah. And, you know, we have talked about doing a show about album cover art. So this we'll just consider this to be a precursor to a later episode where we talk mm -hmm. more broadly about album cover art and some of the other key players in the field. But, you know, I, I have like studied album cover art for my entire life. I've got like catalogs of album cover art and I, it's just one of my favorite things. It's one of my passions. I love mm -hmm. the marketing of an album. I love the, the visual representation of an album. And, you know, I feel like that kind of gets lost now, but with vinyl making a comeback, you know, I, I don't think it's ever really been recaptured because even though vinyl makes a comeback, that vinyl cover still has to be shrunk down to a thumbnail for streaming. And I think it's just a different approach now than it was in the heyday of the seventies and eighties. Because you're saying it has to play into yeah. both mediums. Right. I mean, I think about what I would consider when I make my music, I still like a cover and I still make artwork and I make it so that people get the, the cover art when they download it and it's mm -hmm. big and you can see it on a computer screen, but it's not the same thing, obviously. But, and when I have my CD, it's, you know, clearly it's, it's so scaled for that so that you can see it mm -hmm. on that not a giant album. It is noticeable. And I'm going to use this as a example. When you look at the Aquanetta's album on <laughs> vinyl and on CD, you get the full picture on mm -hmm. the CD. You just don't get sort of the rich tapestry of the whole thing like you do on vinyl. And I think that's just because I don't, then Steph, you can probably know more about this than I do because you've dealt with it. I think it's an issue of resolution because I think when you shrink it, have it the bigger it is, the better it looks. Is basically right, what right, I, right. What I think happens the more, yeah, pixels yeah. or whatever. So yeah. I think that when you, you know, see the, you know, the ACDC album cover art and you click it, oh, that looks cool, but it no way captures just the magnitude of it, right? This is this is an example. Uh, the closest example I can I can put this to is like you watch a movie in a movie theater on a screen versus watching it at home streaming or on a video, right? Mm -hmm. If you see it and you hold it in your hand, you get this big, rich texture with, you know, flavor and depth, and you really get the, the art as it was meant to be seen. Whereas the, when you go with the pixels and everything else, you lose that. Yeah. And these guys didn't ever really go small. And I think that that's to really appreciate them. You have to kind of put your mindset to go big. So if you, are curious. And when you listen to this podcast, if you're curious about their artwork and you want to go explore it, if you find the albums that they made, uh, the artwork for that you are unfamiliar with, go to your local record store and go physically look or the library and look for the physical album so you can hold it and look at it versus finding it on a computer or a CD, because it's just, 
the the visual aspect of it is so much different. I'm kind of want to mention some of the ones that didn't get talked about in the documentary okay. that I really love, you know, be, like the Peter Gabriel ones did get talked about and I love his cover so much, especially scratch. It is one of oh, my man. favorite covers ever made, but there's pieces of eight by sticks, which is really, really striking. Back to the Egg by Wings, I mentioned already, Venus and Mars. They didn't really talk about Alan Parsons, and they did quite a few covers for Alan Parsons. And I think the iRobot cover is so iconic. I absolutely love that cover. One that I wasn't really familiar with that I discovered while I was doing some research today is a solo album by Roger Taylor, the drummer from Queen, called Fun in Space. And it has this weird alien on the cover looking at a magazine that's covered with alien text with a little picture of, of Roger on the magazine cover. It is so <laughs> bananas, but it's so freaking cool. Rick Wakeman has a solo album called 1984 based on the Orwell book, of course. And the cover for that is really amazing. It's uh, very um, painterly. It's oh, so gorgeous. And then one of my other favorite bands, um, prog band, kind of a kind of a uh, folky prog band, Renaissance. They did five covers for them, I think it was. And my favorite of those is Turn of the Cards. Just a really, really great cover. So that's, that's cool. some of my favorites of theirs, and one of the ones that I know their names from. I I want to go back to one of the ones that I guess it. I don't know if this is one of the ones that put them on the map also, but they did discuss it in the film and it was the band, um, the nice and the oh, album's yeah. elegy yeah. and how they were talking about blowing up those red giant balls that are on the cover and having yeah. to go line them up in the desert. Mm -hmm. Like that is what they had to do then because there was no computer doing that for you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they exactly. They actually, did that it's just incredible just to think about the work to get that one shot mm -hmm. and they did that with so many you know yeah like they flew up to the top of the fucking himalayas or whatever yeah. it was i love that with that, with that, with that statue. statue that paul mccartney had bought just so they could take a damn picture of it and oh my god <laughs> i remember having the that wings greatest hits album as soon as it came out and thinking what an interesting cover you know? <laughs> and so it's decades later, I kind of get the story behind the making of it. And I just thought, I just love that. I thought it was I really know. cool. Some of them are so complex. It was just yeah. outrageous. And the fact that they were able to like spend the money to do that, I guess, you know, they, they were commanding fees at some point, you know, they oh, really yeah. were making a nice pretty penny. Mm. Right. <laughs> but, you know, you mentioned the houses of the Holy cover. Yeah. I have absolutely loved that cover. Mm -hmm. all my life. I just think that is such an incredible image and seeing that, you know, in it's sort of making of stages too, just like you were talking about earlier. Was yeah. With the little amazing. children and yeah, I know. Oh, so and then cool. how they put it together with that final thing with the cat, you know, the, yep. I don't even know what's at the top, whatever castle <laughs> thingy. <laughs> so they, they got up to the point where basically this is a story of hypnosis as album cover designers and they talk about you know what was it 82 or 83 or something you know they they storm comes in and he says we have got to stop doing album covers We've actually it was 1980 i think was it 80 was saying, it that yeah. early i wrote down 80 yeah. i don't know and he's like we've got to do other things you know we've got to because i was thinking 83 because they they talked about mtv no, but well, that but that okay. was before then, yeah. Interesting. They were still doing them in the eighties, but they like eighty three. I know they did um, 
I think they did a Rainbow album. Oh, okay. Maybe shape. they just kind of de- started. Oh, you you know what? You just brought up one of the ones that I meant to put on my list of favorite ones that they designed that did not get talked about in. See, the I love those Rainbow album covers. Well, they did, and they did two or three or th- four. Yeah, uh, Rainbow. But my favorite one is um, Straight Between the Eyes, where it's this close up, and it's uh, it's kind of a painting, and it's this close up of a of a guy's face like eyes and nose and his eyes are like wide and this guitar head is like busting out of his skull. (laughs) It's so cool. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) But yeah, they kind of stopped making them because of the, the times were changing as they said. And then they, they decided to start a film company, but that went belly up after two years, which was sad. Well, you know, they, they did a lot of music video production and they did a lot of really amazing things like they did Owner of a Lonely Heart for Yes and uh, Robert Plant's Big Log and Learning to Fly by Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites is Love Removal Machine by The Cult. <gasps> yeah, God, they did that. that. Oh, cool. And then some other things like one of my favorite bands out of canada is glass tiger and they did a couple of videos for them one of them being uh the thin red line which was the title track from their second album um i think glass tiger only did two albums but i loved both of them and so they did a lot of really significant stuff as far as music videos go in a short period of time that's pretty cool yeah exactly i thought it was pretty poignant at the end when poe was talking about how after they broke up that film company that they didn't speak for t- like 12 <sighs> years and then, and then storm died. And I guess, I don't know. It seems like they had never, they never spoke, you know, I don't for 12 know. years. Said and they, they, they didn't speak for 12 years, but storm didn't die until 2013. So there's gotta be some reconnection yeah, that's there that, true. We, that that's... didn't get told in the documentary. Yeah, that's true. I wonder. But, yeah. But you can tell how, Storm's that relationship with Storm and how his death still affects Poe. Yes. To this day. I mean, that's I know, just crazy. So sad. But yeah. you talk about poignant stories. One of the things that was my favorite moment in the movie. And, you know, they were talking about the early days with Pink Floyd and they were talking about Sid Barrett. And oh. they talked about when Sid reemerges after being like gone for so long and he is unrecognizable. And they talked about even like after he got kicked out of Pink Floyd and he lived with them and they were like, talked about how scary Sid got and that whole like situation with all the drugs and everything and how just terrifying it, it, it became. And I mean, what a, I know somebody that was as successful and doing the thing that he loved the most for Sid to to have fallen that far. He did solo albums and stuff after that, but you know, he never really recaptured anything that he had when he was with Pink Floyd and what he could have achieved had he been able to stick with Pink Floyd. They were saying, yeah, it was for the wish you were here session when they were at Abbey Road when Sid walked in and they didn't even recognize him. And then I, I think, brought like Roger Waters to tears. I think it was Roger. Oh yeah. And that he was pretty incoherent and um, he sort of was just mumbling about wanting to be part of the whole process or whatever, but just was completely out of it. So yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. We could easily do a show on insanity in rock and roll because there's a number of people that have you know like fleetwood mac had like three different members that went crazy and you know we could do a whole show just on fleetwood mac crazy people yeah there was a couple moments in the film that were 
I liked the film because it was showing the kind of excess aspect of things, the absurd aspect, the funny, you know, it just was a good mixture. They told, they did the whole thing really well, yeah, I think. And it just kind of captured my attention from start to finish. Yeah. I wanted to touch on the LSD part. Yeah. Because I really found that part of the whole story fascinating because I think that it's hard to look at that art and not think, okay, there was some kind of narcotics involved. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, I think it really did a great job of planting their work and the artists they were working with within the context of the times, which I think is really important to any music documentary is sort of, it has to be connected to the time, but really rooted in the era that it was made. And you very much get a rudimentary knowledge of what 70s music culture was. And especially because it got so fragmented and so weird and really hard to process at times, the musical scene of the 70s. So I think that just like, this is what the era was. This is what it was like. Yeah, they were you know. pretty matter of, fact, matter of fact and upfront about it. I mean, they yeah. said like it was it was a really big help in their creative process, but there was also, you know, they were saying it was destructive and people went to therapy and, you know, then there was like the casualties like Sid, you know. And you look at Poe now and you listen to Poe speak now and you just can't imagine him being the kind of LSD dude that mm -mm. he had to have been at that time <laughs> hanging around with Floyd and all these people. I mean, I it's so funny because he's such a quiet, unassuming British gentleman. And I know a lot of those people were like, yeah. the one, I can't remember the woman's name who was talking, but like, yeah, yep. they were all, you know, I mean, that's just part of the scene at that time. Yeah. And they really, you know, part of it too is the part where they talk about they all lived in, you know, a, a small apartment or they all had a one small place where they all hung out. Yeah. Like their basically crappy a dime. studio. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm like, okay, that really sort of puts everything sort of in the context of this is a blender of creativity. You have mm. the artists making the music and then you have the artists sort of riffing off of the music to make the album cover, yeah. but then they get so well at it. They have so many ideas that they just shop ideas around at this point. Yeah. They pretty much were an ad, an ad agency for music in many ways. Oh yeah. Which is really fascinating and just really groundbreaking in how they made album art. It, it's just really, really fascinating. Well, you know, Stephanie, you're just talking about their crappy studio. At the beginning of the show, Rob talked about them being sort of punk rock in their attitude about what they were doing. And, you know, we have talked on this show on a number of occasions about punk, about early electronica and about a few other things, having that really like DIY uh, yes. attitude that we're going to do whatever we can do, whatever we want to do. We're going to basically invent a scene around us. And that's exactly what they did. They were such mavericks yeah they I said mean, that in the beginning too they were like we had there was like a feeling and an energy around what we were doing we didn't know what we were going to exactly do we didn't know you know exactly what was going to become of this but it was a scene and it was a happening yeah yeah so i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed this film and you know i saw it in the the theater when it came out for that special screening and just i don't even remember how i got a ticket for it but i i was surprised that i did because it was limited seating you know one of those kind of like special preview kind of things and was in a in a crowd of 
you know, you, when you go to one of those kind of things, your crowd is going to be nothing but music nerds. <laughs> and it was so fun. I mean, That's awesome. no, there's a lot of people that would not find any fun in sitting and watching this film, but I freaking loved it. Oh, I thought it was really great. I, I don't, I think you don't have to be into, well, yeah. well, totally into it. I think it was really well done and it's going to capture your attention if, whether you're a huge album buff or not, I think, but because oh, yeah. the stories were really, the, there was like a lot of personal stories or a lot of, yeah, 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 yeah. I just meant the people who go to see it in yeah. a movie theater for a yeah. single night screening. Right. Like, ah. <laughs> it, is, it is one of those documentaries. And this has been a good year for, for music documentaries that do this. But it's one of those musical documentaries that is completely accessible for like crazed, insane music people. But also one that the average casual fan who's just like, man, I want to go see some Zeppelin. Right. You yeah. know, it totally works across so many levels and it's also a film that i think that you know younger folks can learn about stuff because there is oh, yeah. kind of now this desire to learn more about some of this stuff so i think it really checks off a lot of boxes that you want a documentary to do oh totally. and the stories are fantastic i just want i just want to see all the, all the stuff the interview uh clips didn't have i know yeah true i would like to see a dvd release and see how much bonus material it'll have oh yeah i bet it has a lot oh god can you imagine just the paul mccartney stuff alone or the robert plant stuff alone oh yeah i know exactly all right well i think that's gonna wrap it up for this discussion we are gonna take a super quick break and we will be back in a minute to talk about what we've been listening to for the past week so stick around we'll be right back tune in to the con guy show con as in comic con we are Hollywood filmmakers and super fans who cover all the news of the con universe, including the films, the TV shows, the streaming series, the experiences, and the events that fuel your fandom. If you'd find it at Comic-Con, then you'll find it here. Now in our seventh year, the Con Guy Show is a proud member of the ESO Network. Here we are. We're back. And it is time for Picks of the Week. Who wants to kick it off? I'll just kick it off because I have one. And it's okay. the, our guest from last week. And I swear I'm not just saying that, but it's <laughs> Sleepy Kitty. I have been like obsessing over their music and especially their new album, Blessing Curse. Mm -hmm. I love them so much and I have become a super fan. And I have to thank Rob for that because really you introduced me to them, Rob. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, Rob. And our our interview with them was so fun and I just had the best time and I just... I've just, like I said, I've just been going back over their back catalog, but really I love this new album so much. So that's my pick of the week. Awesome. That's a good one. Yep. So I'm going to kind of piggyback off that. I, I didn't know this was coming and then it came and I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> and that is the Let It Bleed version of The Replacements, Tim. Oh, Wes, yes, yes, yes. We just listened to that today. Um, <laughs> we so did. One of the things that has been very annoying for people that love music over the last three decades is how great the Replacements album Tim is, but how horrible the mix is. In terms of an album being mixed, whoever mixed the thing, it's just a disaster. Well, they fixed it. They fixed so it, all right. It's the mix on it, the new mix on it is fantastic. It sounds terrific. There's extra tracks. There's the Replacements, you know, covering um, Chuck Berry and a bunch of other stuff in there. It's pretty fantastic. So if you're a fan of The Replacements, 
Um, yes. Check that out. And then when you're done, go back and listen to our episode with Tommy Stinson and have the full on uh, replacements experience. <laughs> yes. See, yeah. See what I did there. Uh, also uh, coming very soon. And I'm excited about this is spirit power. Uh, this also piggybacks off of something Alan had talked about previously. It is the new greatest hits compilation from Mr. Johnny Marr. Oh, uh, nice. so if you want to hear it's 10 years of Johnny Marr's solo catalog, all on one collection of music. And he's got new songs on there as well. There's a new song called Somewhere. Uh, but if you really sort of want to get an idea of what Johnny Marr sounds like away from the Smiths and as a solo artist, uh, but you don't want to buy, you know, three or four albums, this is the way to go. He's also got a book coming out of all of his guitars. Um, oh, cool. And like a photo book of all the guitars he has and stuff. Wow. So I want to recommend that. And uh, if you're, you know, just kind of discovering the Smiths, but you want to branch out into Johnny Marr, that's probably the really good one-stop way to do it. Also, uh, the the week that we are recording this, it is the uh, anniversary of Nevermind by Nirvana being released in 1991. Oh my goodness! Oh my God. I can tell you that the label rep from from Geffen sent it to the radio station um, two weeks early with a gag order that we couldn't play it until this date, and we got it. The production director, the music director, and my other program director, and myself went into the studio to listen to it. And I think we skipped four classes. And I, I actually remember talking to you about this stuff. I think saying, Oh my God, have you heard the new Nirvana record? And then that kind of stopped our conversation about your records. <laughs> but literally, I don't think people understand how much the earth literally moved. I know that insane. record came out. Um, it, was it completely changed college radio. It almost single-handedly gave birth to commercial alternative radio. It broke that barrier between the two. Um, yeah, it's just, and it's not the best songs on it aren't even "Smells Like Teen Spirit," which is which is great. So um, I want to recommend that. And then I'm going to circle back to this very podcast because coming soon to streaming media is the documentary "Have You Got It Yet," which is the documentary about Sid Barrett. Yeah. which is absolutely fantastic and it's highly recommended. Um, it's coming soon. This, this film is on Apple and Amazon. I think the Sid Barrett one is coming to Apple and Amazon as well. So um, if you're a fan of Floyd, watch that. If you're a fan of Sid Barrett or you want to learn more about Sid Barrett, or if you just want a rock and roll tragedy to take in on a calm Friday night, um, that's the one for you. <laughs> and who doesn't want to do that when they're uplifting? Yeah, exactly. All right. So I've got a, a few things. Um, this past Friday, so we're recording this on 924. Um, so a couple of days ago on Friday, a couple of new singles by a couple of big bands came out. The first one is Slow Train by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. I'm really liking the new OMD stuff that I've heard so far. Um, it's got a very throwback kind of uh, feel to it, and I'm really digging it. And the other one is Black Midnight by Duran Duran, oh. the second single from their upcoming album. Uh, the first single was Dance Macabre, and uh, both good songs, really digging them. And today, I just happened upon, I didn't even know that this was a thing, but I just happened upon a concert that I saw somebody post on YouTube and it wasn't even that they posted it themselves. It's a friend of mine who like posted it on one of his friends, Facebook uh, wall. And I was like, Ooh, what is this? And it was, it's a pretenders show 
uh, that they did in, I don't remember where, somewhere in London. And it's like a huge stage and a huge crowd. So it's one of those festival kind of things. And it's basically like a 45 minute set of mm -hmm. three of their songs from their new album. And then a bunch of just great old classic pretenders hits. Ooh. And it is so good. The <laughs> the band that uh, Chrissy has with her is is really tight. They're really good. She still sounds and looks fantastic. I mean, she, she just does not age. I and know. there were a couple of songs that the tempos were a little slow on, you know, mm -hmm. like like it sort of lacked a little energy. But for, other than that, everything sounded fantastic. So. If you can go dig that up, it was something that the BBC released. Go dig that up, and it, it is an enjoyable 45 minutes. It is so good, awesome. and I wasn't even expecting to spend 45 minutes watching this. I just clicked the link thinking that it was a link to a song and started playing that song as one of the new ones from the, from the new album and then realized this is a full show, <laughs> and I watched <laughs> the full show before... <laughs> before i got out of bed so <laughs> ah, that's so that's my picks of the week all right we are going to be back next week and we will be talking all about the albums of 1993 and i'm looking forward to that one that's an interesting year so stick around for that until then stephanie tell people where they can find more about you well you can find me on facebook at stephanie seymour music you can find me on Instagram at there underscore r underscore birds. I have a website also thereRbirds.com. And you can find me on Bandcamp under my name and also on all the streaming platforms like Spotify and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, right, where can we find nice. you? Um, you can find me on needcoffee.com's um, Weekend Justice podcast. And uh, you also can find me on Louder Than War Radio and Antics, which is on Mondays from 6 to 8 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, uh, 1 to 3 Eastern or 12 to 2 Central. And that's at uh, Louder Than War Radio. There's a lot of cool stuff there. And I'm on uh, Facebook under me and the Twitter X or whatever that thing is and uh, Blue Sky as well. So you can find me there. And it would be really super, super cool if you'd go and visit my website, which is cosmic creative, K O Z M I C creative.com. And you can access all of my books and you can access all my podcasts. And I'm, I'm like, like minutes away from being done with a new book. So I'm going to start promoting cool. that pretty soon. And, um, so that'd be really super cool if you did that. So be with us next week when we talk about 1993. Till then, have a great week and keep rocking on. Rock on. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.